Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Thanks. Pastor Ray would be here, but we needed him in the nursery. So, sorry. No, just kidding. Pastor Ray and Nancy are in San Diego enjoying some much-needed time off. So pray for them that they would rest and hear from God and have a great time. Welcome to Desert Breeze. Um, Our study today is continuing in the book of Acts. We're in um, chapter 8, so you can turn there. We're going to start in verse 26, and our story today is about Philip and the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, I just love the way God's word just comes alive in people's lives and our lives. I've seen it right here in this church. You can see it in the story we're going to read here today. And... um, Particularly, um, the tapestry that's going to be shown in our, in our story today is kind of threefold. It's God's plan. He does what he says he's going to do. God's power. He is who he says he is. And God's purpose. And uh, he's going to do uh, what you need him to do in your life. So we're going to look at that um, So let's look at those three things first. God's plan. Well, Jesus gave the final instructions before he went up to heaven to the disciples, and it's found in Matthew chapter 28. It says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's God's plan. In God's power, uh, we remember that our theme verse for chapter for the book of Acts is what? Chapter 1, verse 8. It's about God's power, right? It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's God's power, and it works in conjunction with his plan. And uh, specifically in this story, God's purpose is salvation for the eunuch, but his purpose overall for all of us is salvation, that we would come to know his son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done on the cross for us. And we can find this particular, it's kind of a prophetic uh, picture in Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is about God scattering his enemies, uh, but he he doesn't scare off those who believe in him. In fact, he calls himself a father of the fatherless and a protector of the widow's. Uh, But he says particularly in verse 31, Nobles shall come from Egypt and Cush, which is Ethiopia, uh, and shall rush to stretch out her hand to God. And so this is a picture of how God's working out his plan, and we can see it front and center. So um, what I would like to do is kind of look back, see where we've come uh, in the book of Acts a little bit, and, uh, but also kind of all the way back to where it started in those uh, first final instructions that Jesus gave to make disciples. The disciples, the apostles are doing that. And uh, Stephen, he's part of this group. And uh, we learned last week what happened to him when he went and worked out God's plan. What happened? He was stoned to death. Yee. And the church is being persecuted and scattered. And Paul is sitting there watching... Stephen gets stoned, licking his lips, ready to put more Christians in prison, isn't he? So what would you be thinking if you were a believer? The church is scattered. The Messiah has gone up to heaven. You can't see him anymore. We can't touch him. He's not with us. But 
Nevertheless, God's power is with us. He's living out his promise. And so some were bold, some weren't so bold. Some were uh, believing what the gospel said uh, and living it out. And some were just saying, yeah, I know what it says. And they were kind of timid in that. So uh, what we're going to look at here is uh, Philip being bold and, and doing uh, answering the call. And so um, we have to consider in this, we have to look for ourselves in this text, and we have to look for God in the text too. So let's read our text um, starting in verse 26 in the book of Acts chapter 8. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopia, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep that was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For he is, his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About who, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about somebody else? And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He shared the gospel with him. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he, was bapti- and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word to you and I today, and he's got some rich, rich stuff to talk to us about. So what do you you say we, we ask him to be close to us and to open our hearts and our minds? Let's pray. God, we know that you have a purpose for us. And Lord, sometimes in our limited view of what's going on in life, uh, our vision gets clouded. So Lord, help us to understand through your word, through this holy scripture that uh, you would see, you you would help us to see your purpose. Lord, um, even in knowing your purpose, there's impossible that we could live it out. So we need your power. Uh, We need your power to overcome the obstacles that seem to be obstacles for us. Uh, But we know they're not obstacles to you. And Lord, we know uh, how you want to work out your plan, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. And uh, Lord, we're honored and humbled that you would include us in that plan. So Lord, help us see ourselves in this scripture. Help us see your face here today. And uh, Lord, help us to know that we're all eunuchs of some kind. And uh, we need to be converted by the good news of the gospel, your son, Jesus Christ. So help us what it means for, for you to renew our generation and to live out your plan, and to know what it means that we have an appointment with you. And we pray these things in your son's name. And everybody said, Amen. Hey, um, our, 
subtitle today is, Do You Have an Appointment? And uh, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, I believe we all have appointments with God. As believers, because we've uh, been converted, um, we have an ongoing appointment with God. And what I mean by that is conversion, is, there's a point of in conversion. Conversion is an event. Uh, and, and at the beginning of the event, there's not much fruit that's produced. And so God takes us through what's called sanctification. He changes us from the inside out. And through that sanctification process, what he does is he produces fruit in our lives. And this fruit that he produces in our lives is not only for our good, but it's for the benefit to show his glory in our lives so others would go, oh, look at that fruit. I like that. I want that too. And it will give uh, reason for us to share the gospel and and not in some um, way that people don't understand, in a way that you can be a witness to say, I'm not quite sure about all this theological stuff, but here's, I was blind and now I see. And so it produces this fruit in our lives that we can give testimony to. And so we have as believers an ongoing appointment with God, not only for him to change us from the inside out, but we've also been appointed by God to go make disciples. And so we have that ongoing appointment. As unbelievers, God wants you to know that he loves you. You're created in his image. Did you know that? You're created in God's image. Have you ever thought about that? How amazing that is? He wants you to know that he loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He's got power for you to live it out. And if you don't know, if you haven't confessed his son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord, Lord? Yeah, the one who you turn control of or to of your life because you've come to a point that you recognize that Hey, man, I'm just not getting this thing right. So, Lord, and then Savior, that you've got a debt sin that you can't pay other than dying, and even your death won't satisfy the perfect justice of God. But the Christ did that for you, and so he's got this gift for you of his Son who's paid your price for you so you can have relationship with God. And he wants you to know that all this satisfaction that you're pursuing in life isn't going to be found in people and possessions and the positions of this world. It's found in the gospel. And so you've got an appointment with God. And so I think we can uh, find that in this story. My purpose for us all is that we would know exactly what that means in our lives. So Philip, he was known as Philip the Evangelist. And so what was he doing in the story? Evangelizing. Go figure. So number one, fill in the blank. Sharing the gospel is not always convenient, easy, or comfortable. It's not convenient, easy, or comfortable. How do we know this? Because you can probably give testimony to that yourself. When uh, if I said, "Hey, I need you guys to all go evangelize this afternoon," you'd probably all kind of pucker up and "Uh, I can't do that. And why is that? It's because you're 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 putting too much uh, confidence in yourself, or you're not having enough confidence in the gospel, and you've kind of got it backwards. And so. Um, we just simply need to follow God's plan and answer the call and understand that it's not going to be convenient, it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be comfortable. The angel appeared to Philip and said, what? Rise up and go. If someone has to tell you to rise up, what are you doing? You're lying down or you're sitting down, you're comfortable. And so if, if we look at and kind of dissect uh, the words here, it says... Um, It says, rise up and go 
go down to Jerusalem, to Gaza, to to the south, to the road. And actually, when you translate out that phrase, it means go south at noontime to the road. So uh, he had some time to get there. I know that it wasn't a very short distance. And so, um, and I don't think that he had like a, there was no transit system. (laughs) He didn't have a car. And so he had to go. He had some time. And so has it happened in your life where God's put someone on your heart or, or he's called you to go share the gospel with somebody and, and you just can't get it out of your heart? And you go, yeah, I'm going to go share Jesus with them because I know, I know they need Christ. And the things that are going on in their lives, they need some encouragement. And by the time you start with that feeling and by the time that you know you have to go south to the road, you know, at noontime, you've got some time to think about it. And you start thinking... Oh, what if they start asking me questions about my life? What if they, you know, don't believe me? What if I can't do it? What if I don't know what to say? And so we start putting confidence in ourselves and we think it's up to us. It's not. It's up to God. And, and that's where, um, where we have to get. We have to be motivated by what Christ has done. And to do that, you simply need to look at your own salvation. Christian... Christ one, Christ follower. Have you been forgiven of all your sins? Yes. Has Christ paid the sin debt that could only be satisfied by death for you? Yes, he has. And has he done that with Every drop of blood, every drop of blood of God's Son, what an incredible gift. Yes, He has. And beyond that, has He given you eternal life? Yes, He has. So what do you have to offer people? Oh man, you have a lot to offer people. And you can't get hung up on how good you are only how good God is. And so don't get it backwards. And the other thing is, is that when you're supposed to rise up, I think this is a good picture, that we're not supposed to sit and keep it to ourselves. When we're given the gospel, we're supposed to go do something with it. The great commandment, go and make disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth. Everybody needs it. Everybody needs it. And if you're wondering about this convenience and comfort thing, well, look. When you look at this, and if you looked at this and Christ was was here and nailed to the cross, do you see convenience? Do you see comfort? Was it comfortable for Christ to be scourged and whipped? Was it comfortable for God to give his one and only son that you might not perish? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So just recognize most of the time that uh, sharing the gospel is going to be uncomfortable, but here's the thing. It's always joyful for the giver and gives hope and salvation for the receiver. Always. And so we can't get mixed up in our credibility. Here's the thing about credibility. Number two, the credibility of the gospel is not dependent on your prominence, but your humble confidence and obedience will give testimony to its credibility. That's fruit. 
What I mean by that, your prominence, yeah, how good you are, how good you're doing this Christian thing. Oh, I'm being good. Well, don't forget, you're not, you're not, not a sinner anymore. You're a sinner still saved by grace. And God's bringing you through this sanctification process. And people should be able to look at your life and say, hey, there's fruit. And here's the thing about fruit. If you look at a tree with fruit on it, the fruit stands out. doesn't look like anything else on the tree. Apples, oranges, grapefruits, whatever it might be. So it stands out. People can go, ah, ah, I want that. And, so, and it's not for you. It's not to make you look good. It's to bring glory to God and what he's done. The tree doesn't produce its own fruit. It's through God's amazing process of photosynthesis and all that stuff and seeds. And how does a fruit produce more seeds for more fruit? And ah, do you see how that's a picture of the gospel fruit in your life is going to produce fruit in other people's lives and it's going to go on and on and on and on and on. The gospel never ends. Here's the other thing about fruit. Trees do not pick their own fruit. Trees don't pick their own fruit. If we get hung up and think the fruit's about us, we're going to say, when we share the gospel, or when we share a gospel, I should say, we're going to say, look at my fruit, come up here where I am. We lose our relevancy to people. Or if we don't think we have enough fruit, we're going to be discouraged and don't think we have a gospel to share because people are way up there and they're doing good. They drive a much nicer car. I can't possibly share the gospel with them because their life is just so much better than mine. Wrong. Wrong. The gospel is about the fruit that God produces in your life and it's not to give you glory or you credibility. It's to bring glory to God and give the gospel credibility. And so you can't get it backwards. If you're talking about your stuff and saying, if you're a Christian, you can have stuff like this too. You're not evangelizing. You're being arrogant and prideful and boasting about yourself and not the cross. And so evangelism uh, is about bringing God glory. And if you miss the boat and think it's about stuff, then uh, you're going to say, when it comes to that theological and Bible stuff, Go talk to a pastor or a theologian. No. Number three, evangelism is not reserved for theologians and pastors, but for everyone in the priesthood of believers. Pastor Ray, a couple weeks ago, talked about the priesthood of believers in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And um, we need to understand what that means. If you've received the gospel, if God has saved you from hell, you've got a lot to offer, and he's producing fruit in your life right now. And uh, that's what you evangelize. You don't have to get into a bunch of doctrine and theological stuff and the canon of Scripture and all that stuff. That stuff can come as you grow in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His Word. It's not just reserved for theologians and pastors. Evangelism, the evangelist, actually the word means a publisher of glad tidings. Someone who puts out there good news about what's happened and what's going to happen. Glad tidings, yeah, once I was blind and now I see. Sometimes we think because we're cowering or towering that we aren't relevant to the people we're trying to share the gospel with. And so we get hung up again on um, trusting in me and we miss God's power and we're too timid to share the gospel because we don't think God's going to come through. God gives credibility to the gospel when you open your mouth. What did Philip do? He opened his mouth. 
I've, it's happened to me before. If it hasn't happened before, before it can. I've um, come across people that I knew they knew the gospel, but I looked at and thought, ah, they're not going to relate to me. They're so much different than I am. And I just simply stepped out and opened my mouth. And God took over, and things that came out of my mouth, I was like, where did I come up with that? I didn't. It was the power of God. It can happen to you if you just step out in faith and understand that the gospel is good for everybody in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And all you need to know about the gospel is that you're a sinner. You need a savior. Christ came. He redeemed you and he's restoring you. And he's going to come and restore this entire earth one day. And you need to live it out like it's true. And so in that, sharing the gospel, understanding that it's not up to you, we won't cower or tower, and so we can do the next thing. Number four, we can come alongside those in need of the gospel and not say, hey, come up here where I am. I, uh, I used to be in the restaurant nightclub business, and uh, in my BC days, I was a pretty wild man, and uh, I did some things I'm pretty ashamed of. And I kind of smirk and smile because it's, I'm nervous up here about it. Um, and if a lot of you knew, you might not go to this church. I don't think that's true because you know the power of the gospel. And uh, my BC days and what's gone on in my life gives testimony to God's goodness and greatness, not mine. And so uh, we can come alongside people. And sometimes when we come alongside people who have known us from our BC days, I've encountered people from back then, door hosts, waiters, waitresses, bartenders. If you're a waiter, waitress, bartender, it's cool. I'm glad you're here. You need Jesus just like I did and do every day. But anyways, hey, what's going on, family? What are you doing these days? I'm a pastor. Oh. Oh. So they're thinking of the BC days, what I was all about. But then if I get to share with them of, you know, hey, I'm no better than you are. I struggle with the same stuff, but here's what God's done in my life. Here's some fruit. I don't struggle with that anymore, and I am just so free. I have the best marriage, the best kids, the best church family, the best job. I can't believe I'm a Christian. Can you? No, I want that too. It gives testimony to people when when we come alongside people. Philip came alongside the eunuch. Look at the story. And we've already talked about he needed to go from Jerusalem down to this road down south, and so... He was likely, because of the words that it uses in here, he was probably running alongside, running alongside the chariot. You ever been on a desert road out near Lake Pleasant or something like that? They're kind of narrow roads with ruts in them, and I'm sure there's only room for one chariot. And so Philip's running along. Oh, cactus! You know, running along. Hey, how's it going? How relevant do you think he felt with the guy in the chariot? Uh, I noticed what you're reading there. Oh, cactus! It was kind of weird, but it wasn't convenient for him, and it wasn't comfortable, and it wasn't easy. And sometimes when God puts people in your lives, it's not going to be easy, and you might have to chase them a little bit. You might have to run alongside them a little bit through the rough terrain, through the desert place that they find themselves in their lives. But you need to share the gospel. Don't let that discourage you. But also, Philip encountered the eunuch at the perfect time, perfect place. He was reading God's word. He was hungry for the truth. He was actually looking for it. 
Not everybody that you encounter that needs the gospel is going to be looking for it. In fact, they might even be antagonistic towards God and be shaking their fist at him or something else, you know, get him in a salute or something like that. And we, that doesn't mean we shouldn't share the gospel with them. It means that we are supposed to just lovingly love them where they are and tell them what's going on in your lives and show them the testimony. Um, and the other thing about this is that um, this should bring us to a point that we, we don't get hung up on the differences that people have in us and don't mistake your effect and your effort with what you're supposed to be doing. You're not the savior. You're the messenger. You're supposed to proclaim the gospel. God does the rest of the work. Okay? And so in our effectiveness, the sharing and receiving, number five, the sharing, receiving, and living out of the gospel in, is produced through the power of God's spirit and will, not our willpower. If we get it backwards, we've, we've missed the proper motivation. When Jesus came, he came and he was fully man and fully God. And I think we see a picture in, uh, of him being fully man in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he went to get nailed to the cross. He was sweating blood. He was in anguish. And he cried out to his God, his Father, please take this cup from me as a man. I can't handle this. But he was motivated by his Father's love. And he said, but if that's what it takes... I love you, I know you, I trust you. And I'm going to live out, I'm going to fulfill the gospel because of who God is, not who man is. And so, in sharing the gospel, if, we don't, if we're not motivated how Christ was motivated, we get it backwards and trading God's power for human willpower is the opposite of humble confidence. And if we're not sharing... Um, if sometimes we don't have this alignment with God's will. Have you ever been out of alignment with people's will before? Husbands? <laughs> Teenagers? I've been both. Sometimes when uh, my wife has asked me to do something and our wills aren't aligned, I'm arrogant and I just say, hey, yeah, I will. I will. Yeah. Are you going to do that? Did you do that yet? I will. Well, if I'm really ravished and understand that uh, my wife is a gift from God and, and uh, how much I'm supposed to love her like Christ loved the church. I'm going to be overwhelmed and my will is going to be matched up with God's will and of course I want to do those things. And, and uh, you know, there's this love motivation that I have and we can't get that back. So if we don't do that in light of living out the gospel in word and in deed, there's a couple of things that are probably happening. First is that you might have a lack of you might lack a desire for it. And in that, your value of the cross is, I don't need it. Now, if you're an unbeliever, you might say, I don't need it at all. But if you're a believer and you don't really desire the gospel the way you need to desire it, and it doesn't overwhelm you when you look at the cross, you don't see a decoration up here, but you see what's been done for you for eternity. The gospel is going to be like a pocket knife. It's going to be, oh, I'll pull it out when I need it, but I don't need it all the time, so... I'll just stick it back in my pocket. That's not what the gospel is like. You need to have a desire for it, that, that you live it. And if you don't live it, uh, you might have another problem, and that's a lack of confidence in its power. And there's two sides of the equation on this one. If I lack confidence in its power, it's <clears throat> that my problems are just way bigger than God. No. God's an eternal God. He's in control. 
no matter what it looks like around you and in your life, God's still in control. Oh my goodness, he loves you. And if, if, if it's not that he's uh, smaller than my problems, it might be that your comfort is bigger than God and you've chosen another God. And so it's not working for me. It's not working for me. And so we get the gospel mixed up like that and we make these plans in our lives and our plans supersede God's plans. But I got to tell you, that's a bad equation to try and live out. Let me share a couple of Proverbs with you. Proverbs 69, the heart of a man's plan, or in, in the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You can plan all day long, but God's going to do in you, with you, what he's going to do in with you, and with you, whether you like it or not. Our plans don't last. And the other proverb is 1921. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the Lord's purposes uh, that will stand. His plans, his will does last. We're not going to thwart his plan because we've made other plans. Um, you may even think, um, you know, you may be devastated in some trouble of some kind and you kind of, oh, I got to suck it up, make a plan. And then you can start working this plan and think that you're doing good and stuff. And then here comes God and he shows off and he just overwhelms you and makes it work out in a completely different way. Better than you could ever imagine. Better than you expect. And you go, wow, I thought it was going to work out this way when it actually worked out this way. The Lord's purposes will prevail. His plans last. And so we need to live in humble confidence. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says this, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's look at that a little bit. Work out. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some discipline. It's going to take some planning. It's going to take some being on purpose. Work out what? Your salvation. Whose salvation? Your salvation. Your salvation is not dependent on anybody else except for you and God. Okay? And so you're not supposed to work out your salvation and think that just because I have to go to this church to be saved or I have to do this or that to be saved. No, it's your salvation between you and God and it's up to you how you walk with God, not anybody else. So don't blame your, your, uh, your falling down in your spiritual life on other people. Other people can certainly influence you, but they're not responsible for your salvation. That's between you and God. So how do I do that? Well, I, you do it with fear and trembling. Fear, God is incredibly amazing and in control, all loving, all wise and control, mighty God. Whoa, he's in control. I better follow him. He's got my best interest in mind. And then the other side, trembling. Trembling, yeah, that you're a sinner without hope. Sinner without hope, almighty God. How do we do that? you don't. God does it in you. Because it goes on to say, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's amazing. What God expects of you, he does in you. He wills it and works it. He wills out of his plan. He does that. He produces fruit in your life. And it's for his good pleasure. It's his pleasure to take love you from here. Sinner, without hope, to hear. 
saved by grace, sanctified, being formed in the image of his son. Ah, oh, that's amazing. And so, that's where we find our humility, fear and trembling, working out our salvation. Where do we find the confidence? In the gospel, because God's willing it and working it, God's, God's plan. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes it. Everybody. First Jew and the Greek. For the religious and the irreligious, it doesn't matter who you are. God loves you. He created you. You're created in His image. And it's by grace. It's absolutely by grace. Number six, God's grace is undeserved favor and it is not redeemed by race, religion, vocation, or volition. Acts 10.34 says, God is no respecter of a man. And that means he, he, you don't impress him. You can be good and do good things, but that's not what's most important to God. He is good. There's no good thing in us. The only good things that we produce in our, or that are produced in us are given by Him. And so it's by His grace. It's given by His grace. So it, it doesn't, you know, the color of your skin doesn't affect the gospel. Your religion, that's kind of a slippery slope, doesn't affect the gospel. Religion is man-made. It's your relationship with Christ. It's the gospel that makes the difference. Can you be in a bad religion? Yeah, because that influences you on the bad thing. It won't point you to Christ. Being a healthy church that points you to Christ follows God's word. Vocation or volition? Well, I've got a good job. I'm an American. I pay my taxes. I'm a Boy Scout leader. And So what? That doesn't make you more loved by God than anybody else. But I try really hard. That doesn't either. It's not what you do. It's what he's done. And so God is no respecter of men. I love this passage because it gives us this picture of this, um, this, um, this meeting between two people, and it was just like unexpected. It was not probable that these two guys would meet. Philip wouldn't call up the, the Ethiopian eunuch guy and said, Hey, I'm going to be down near Gaza at about noontime. You want to get together for coffee? That wouldn't have happened. Let me describe who these guys were, and you'll understand that they probably wouldn't get together, and even if they encountered each other, they probably would not have had this kind of exchange, and it was only by the power of God. So Philip, many commentators say that uh, because of his origin and where he was born and things, he was a white guy. And uh, uh, I, don't, I didn't learn much about him, but I did find out that his, word mean, his uh, name means lover of horses. And where he was from, he might have been a fisherman too, so Philip could have been a redneck. Could have been a redneck. So what did he have to offer? A lot. He had something more valuable than the eunuch had. He had the gospel. Remember, uh, he was chosen as one of the seven. He had credibility. He had been affected by God's word, and he was a teacher. He's called Philip the Evangelist. He's got something to say. He's got, he proclaims Christ. He points people to Christ. And so he had something so much more valuable than the eunuch had. The eunuch, uh, through God's spirit, God's power, helped him recognize this. So let's talk about the eunuch a little bit. Um, he was uh, driving the chauffeur-driven limousine of the day. He wasn't actually driving it. And I say that because of a few things. If you look at the words in the story, it says he was sitting down 
and the chariot was moving, and so you can't sit down and drive the chariot at the same time, according to any pictures of chariots that I've seen anyways. And so someone was probably driving it for him. So there was a good amount of room. It was probably a, like a stretch, uh, like a stretch chariot. And uh, there was a lot of room in there because what happened is he commanded it to stop. So he had a chauffeur and um, he called Philip up and he said, come up here and sit with me. So it was, it was obviously at least a double seater in the back. And so he had affluence. He's got this nice chauffeur driven chariot going on his way. It probably had a canopy on it with tassels and all this other stuff. But he was a nobleman. He, he held high position in the palace. And what we do know about these noblemen, these noblemen that weren't in the family, is because of the Oriental monarchs that had multiple wives, they didn't want the uh, gene pool to be polluted. And so people that held high positions and that were intimate with the family in the palace, they had to be castrated or else they could not be trusted in those positions. And so he was a eunuch. He was castrated. He was sexually altered. Um, but there's some other things that we know, is that he held this high position. He was like the CFO of Candace, and he was in charge of all her treasures. And so that tells me that he was very intelligent. Uh, the guy had some, some administrative skills. Um, he was probably very discerning. He was probably very educated. Um, probably very detail-oriented uh, because he probably dealt with a lot of people in the, in, the, in the queen's treasures. He probably had to be very much of a critical thinker and not very trusting of people. He had to be very discerning. And so uh, this tells me that um, he was um, a lover of the truth. And he didn't just buy anything that anybody told him. And so what do we see him doing here. He's exchanging with Philip. He's got Philip the redneck and he's the CFO and he's a white guy and he's a black guy and he's a low man running alongside my chariot and I'm a high man and doing that. There's all these differences but what Philip knew and what all of us need to know is that we can't allow the differences that we have with people to scare us off from talking with them because what we know, what Philip knew about the eunuch is that he was a human being created in the image of God with a soul in need of the saving power of the gospel. And that's what you should know to anybody you come across with, no matter where you are, no matter who they are, they need Jesus. And so, what do we see him doing? He's searching out truth in the scriptures. He's reading Isaiah, this eunuch, and so he's trying to figure out what's going on. Well, where did he just come from? He just came from Jerusalem. We'll talk about that in a second. But why didn't... And he was up near Egypt. There's plenty of churches up there. Lots of gods that they're worshiping up there. Well, he was a critical thinker. And I think he didn't find any truth up there. And he was like, I've got to find the real deal. So I'm going down to Jerusalem. And I've got to find out about this true God. But here's what's incredible about this story. is He was likely turned away. And why do I say that? In Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says this, No one who is emasculated or has his male organs cut off shall enter the assembly of God. I'm not quite sure how they checked that at the front door, but I do know this is that he must have been absolutely devastated. Can you imagine? You're searching out truth. You're reading God's word. 
How many of you came to Desert Breeze when you were just at a really low point in your life and you needed some discouragement and stuff? What if we stopped you at the front door and said, we know about you and you can't come here? Oh, that would be devastating. And so he was turned away. He might have even questioned. No one of illegitimate birth shall ever enter the assembly of God, of the Lord. Not of his descendants, even to the tenth generation shall enter the assembly of the Lord. But he was still diligent. Why? Because he was seeking the truth. Why? Because he had this hole in his soul and it needed to be filled. And he wasn't discouraged. Why? It's because God was drawing him He was drawing him. He had this spiritual thirst and hunger. Jesus talks about it in the fifth chapter of Matthew, verse 6. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. If you look at the anxieties in your life and the people around you, if you peel back all the layers, get down to the root issue, it's this hunger and thirst for God's power and his presence in your life that just makes everything manageable and okay. If you have no spiritual or sense or taste of God, you will castrate yourself in whole or in part of your relationship with Him and you'll seek satisfaction in other places. What must have been going on? I don't know if this um, position that the eunuch held in the palace was a voluntary thing, but what hunger could he have been trying to fill by saying, yeah, I'll be castrated as long as I can have that position? Wow. What are you willing to do in your life? How are you castrating yourself? This sense is given to us through a supernatural birth affected by God's word, and it's called regeneration. The eunuch was experiencing regeneration through the gospel. Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, When you seek me, you will find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, clear away all the clutter, all the other stuff. When you're ready to give me your heart, that's when you're going to find me, when you come to the end of yourself. Jonathan Edwards, a wonderful theologian, said this about regeneration. He said, The first effect of the power of God in the regenerated heart is to give the heart a divine taste or sense to cause it to have a relish of the loveliness and sweetness of the supreme excellency of the divine nature. Ah, and that is lip-smacking, isn't it? Therefore, to savor God and consequently be satisfied by God, a person must be born again. That is, a person must not only see the effects of God's work, but also be drawn into savoring Him and uh, really seeing God's nature. Jesus talked about this drawing process in um, Matthew, or excuse me, John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus declares, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. This word draw in the Greek is helkuo, H-E-L-K-U-O, and it means to drag literally or figuratively. To drag literally or figuratively. Clearly this drawing is a one-sided affair. God does the drawing to salvation, who are drawn have a passive role in the process. There is no doubt that we respond to his drawing us, but the drawing itself is all on his part. This same word was used um, 
to describe the fishnets that were really full being drugged to shore. And it's the same word that was used when Peter drew his sword. And it's the same word that was used in chapter 10 of Acts, Paul and Silas being drug into the marketplace before the rulers. Now, clearly, the sword, the nets, and Paul and Silas didn't voluntarily go. They had no part in the dragging. And the same thing can be true when God drags us to salvation. Some are dragged willingly and some are dragged unwillingly, but all whom God elects eventually come, although we have no part in the drawing. So why does God have to drag us to salvation? Well, this is why. It's because we're depraved. We have dark hearts. We don't even have a desire for God, and sometimes we don't even know it. About our hearts, the Bible says that the heart is wicked and evil above all things. It is beyond cure. Who can even understand it? And so when Jesus makes this statement that no one comes to the Father unless he's drawn by him, he's not only making a statement of the goodness of God that he will draw us and bring us to him to show us his goodness, he's making a statement of our utter depravity and darkness where we are in our lives. And without God, we're in a, God we are in a dark, depraved, unregenerated place. And it requires God's drawing and our repentance. But even repentance is granted by God. You can find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and 2 Timothy chapter 22. God grants us, to re, uh, grants us repentance. And we participate by giving ourselves to the repentance that God gives us. And the redemption part is all on God's part. So here's a word about redemption and repentance. Redemption is not contingent upon how far your repentance must reach, but how far reaching and abundant God's grace is. He met the eunuch where he was. He's going to meet you where you are. God demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We get all hung up and trying to be good enough, and I'm not going to go to church because the roof will cave in, because I'm not living right. Well, my goodness, do you know what Christ did for you? Do you know where the law is, being good in all this equation? If you don't, this is what it says in Romans chapter 5, 20 and 21. The law came to increase the trespass. That is, the law came to point out what it means to be good and means to be bad. But where sin increases, here's the great part, grace abounds all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, breaking the law, the law is good, but breaking it is death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the guy who did it all for us. He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law and to give us his righteousness and to take the wrath of God upon himself that we might be saved. It's amazing. Where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. So don't get hung up and sidetracked that you're just not good enough. And so you go off and Try and find your significance and goodness and how you look or what you drive or the people that you hang out with or you know where you live or how much money that you make. All those things will become gods to you if you do that. And you will castrate yourself to God's plan and God's power and what he has for you. Don't turn away. Be sensitive to what he has for you. 
Number eight, we voluntarily castrate ourselves by living and dying for any authority other than Christ. Castration is the mutilation of God's perfect creation in an effort to repurpose God's plan to fulfill man's plan instead. Don't repurpose your life. Don't stick God in your pocket. Don't say, eh, it's just not working for me. Don't say, oh, I'm just not ready to get in a life group because I just got too much crap going on in my life. Oh, get in a life group. Go to church. Get with someone who can guide you, that can love on you like Jesus loves on you. Jesus doesn't love you because you're perfect. He loves you to make you perfect. It's amazing. And don't let other people's representation of God give you an excuse not to serve him or follow him. It's very discouraging to try and live that way. Be diligent like the eunuch. Be diligent like the eunuch. He didn't buy any truth that came his way. He could have got that at home. And here's something about our church, is that I hope to God that if any of you think that we're pointing to anything other than Christ, that you would call us on it. That you would come and say, hey, I don't get this. You seem to be more concerned about this than the cross. If that's true, shame on us. And you come tell us about it. We want to know. Because we don't want to represent God in any other way other than all-powerful, all-loving, and all-in-control. Not only of your lives, but our lives too. We're sinners saved by grace too. Us pastors don't have something special going on. We probably do what we do because we need more Jesus than you guys do. And so tell us about it. And don't mistake the messenger for the Messiah. And what I mean by that is we love Ray's teaching. We love the funny things that he says, the examples that he makes of himself, the vulnerability that he has, the truth that he shares in the gospel. But he's not the Messiah. And he would tell you that too. He's pointing us to Jesus, not to himself. So don't get hung up on your life group leader or a ministry leader or Ray or me or anybody else. It's Jesus that makes the difference. It's what he did on the cross. None of us went there. He did it for us. So don't voluntarily castrate yourselves by pursuing other people or other things. Don't get it backwards. Because you'll miss God's purpose and plan for your life. And if you think that uh, you're just too far away, or you think just life is just too bad, then you're, you're kind of missing part of the gospel too. If you think that because life is good, that means God's with you. And if life is bad, that God's not with you. You missed it completely. Number nine, the conversion of the gospel brings is not to remove the season we are living in, but it is to revive the reason for which we are living. You've heard Ray say it before. We don't follow Jesus because he makes life better. It's because he is better than life. And we need to live it. And we can't repeat it up here enough. If you think, oh yeah, I heard that before. Do you get it? Do you get it? You see, if, if the eunuch got this backwards 
and Philip was taken away, he would have mistaken, and he freaked out and said, "Uh, I guess that doesn't work. I'm going to go find the gospel somewhere else or find my significance. Guess I got to go back home. At least I got a good job. He would have missed it too. But no, Philip pointing him to Jesus. He shared the gospel with him. He started where he was in that scripture, and he told him about Jesus Christ. And what happened? Bing! There's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized right now? He got it. He had an encounter with God. He wasn't discouraged. Philip was taken away. Why did that happen? That's kind of weird. Well, God had other souls and other people for him to reach, and Philip needed to work out his salvation according to, God, to the plan God had for his life, so he was taken away. But I'll think, I'll think it was a, it's a great picture that when he was taken away, the eunuch wasn't discouraged. And why do we know that? Because it says he went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. He wasn't codependent on anybody. He was interdependent in Christ. Number 10. The power of God's Spirit will draw us to a point we are spiritually affected by His life-changing love, giving us a new purpose and perspective. Now, if we wrap everything that we've talked about up here this morning and saying, God's got a plan, and you're not going to be changing that plan, that plan is for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans. I have them for you. Not plans to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. And we understand that we can do good, but it's not good for us. It's good for God to give Him glory and other people. That's that fruit that I was talking about. Sometimes as human beings, we get sidetracked and something good happens and we, can, we were part of it. And we say, yeah, thanks a lot. Look what I did. And we can continue doing good. And people can benefit from the good that we do. But there's going to be a point to where you come, you realize that you were doing it for the wrong reasons. There's a movie called Schindler's List. It's about Oscar Schindler. It's played by Liam Neeson. And I want to show you a video clip here. Oscar Schindler comes to this point to where he's done great good. He was a very influential and rich guy, and he did a lot of good to save Jewish people during the Holocaust. But I think what happened was he came to this point to realize that he could have done more. I want you to watch this video. As Hebrew from the Talmud, it says whoever saves one life saves the world entire.
Alaska, there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. If I've made more money, <laughs> I threw away so much money. <laughs> you have no idea. If I just... There will be generations because of what you did. interesting here's a man that had incredible influence and wealth did a lot of good for people but I think he came to that point and realized that he thought he was the Messiah and he came to understand the value of a human life and I think it's the great a great great picture that we can take and understand what we've been given the great influence that we've been given. And this, the power of this. You know, Ray uh, shared his heart last week about our kids' ministry. And the gospel is not only necessary for our kids' ministry, it's necessary for your homes and your workplace and your friends. So are you taking what you have and using it to God's glory? How about in this church? You know, we talk all the time about, we always have, every church has struggles with volunteers and stuff, and there are seasons where it's worse than other times. And right now, our season, it's pretty bad in the children's ministry. And we always talk about, well, what can we do more? What can we, let's do some... You know, put some chocolate bars out or something. Let's try and motivate people in such a way. There's no greater motivation than the cross. And I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. I don't want anybody making an emotional decision to serve God. That doesn't honor God at all. But what are you doing? I don't want you to ever, ever have to look back and say, I could have gotten one more. Because you've made choices and castrated yourself and the influence of what God has in you and through you, through the gospel.
To be free from the castrated reality we are in, we must all uh, we must see all of life in relationship to God's power, providence, and plan. All of who God is and what He has in store for you and I can be seen in one place: the cross. What was accomplished on the cross sustains everything, giving everything meaning and purpose and design. It all connects. If you open your heart and your mind to God, he will allow you to see divine things in everything. Through his spirit, you will be spiritually affected. Spiritually affected. Spiritually affected, you will become more and more aware that all around you there is evidence of the main thing. What's the main thing? God's glory. He doesn't share it with anybody, but we get to bask in it. We get to bask in it. Without spiritual affections our found, as our foundational existence, we cannot see God's glory. When we cannot see God's glory, we cannot savor Him. And when we cannot savor Him, we will not go on our way rejoicing. So, the question still remains the title of our teaching. Do you have an appointment? Do you have an appointment right now with God? Let's look at the eunuch again. No hope, no heritage, castrated physically and in his heart likely, but ravaged by the gospel as he looked into God's word and found his power. Let's look again what he was reading. He was reading... Uh, this scripture, like a sheep, he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so open, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can, who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch was saying to Philip, "Who is he talking about? Is it about himself or about someone else?" And what he could have meant was. Is he talking about someone like me? Because I feel like that. I feel like that I've been slaughtered like a lamb. And because I was so wrapped up in wanting position, I kept my mouth shut. Justice was denied me. I was just turned away from church. Who can describe my generation? I'm not going to have any more kids. For his life is taken away from the earth. I feel like that. But if you were the eunuch and Philip uh, kept on and told him about the gospel, they probably made it to uh, Isaiah 56. And I want you to put yourself right now, I want you to put yourself in that chariot. I want you to play the part of the eunuch. I want you to think and meditate on this. Maybe even close your eyes if you have to. You have no hope. You're feeling cut off, castrated from God's plan and God's truth, dejected. But here's what happens when he read on, and he must be incredibly encouraged. Here's more of God's word that he encountered. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, and notice it's plural, it's for all of us, 
who keep my Sabbath and who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, meaning this, that as long as you count me holy and look to me for your power, strength, and significance, this is what's true for you. I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. There's no happiness and better significance you can have even having kids. No legacy that you could even have coming from or have left behind. It doesn't, it doesn't compare to what I have for you within my house and my walls. He says, I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. Ever, 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 ever. His heart must have just exploded. Philip was out of there. He went on his way rejoicing. Man, is that you? You feel kind of cut off? This is God's word to you right now. He's pursuing you. I want us all to think about believers and unbelievers alike what we've talked about here today. I want, we, I want us to go to the cross. In fact, let me pray, and then we're going to watch a video, and I want you to sit and reflect on the words of the song that we're going to watch. So right now, let's just go ahead and pray. God, your grace is amazing. Amazing. That you would love us the way we are. Running around, trying to find significance in other places. Not seeing you. Not seeing your cross. Lord, spiritually affect us. Show us these divine things. Show us your glory in every area of our lives. In whatever season that we might find ourselves in, good or bad, Lord, we know that you're here. We know that you love us. We know that you're wise and you know what you're doing. We know that you're in control and nothing happens outside of your plan. So, Lord, help us to know you see your face encounter your son. Ravage us, pour your love upon us, sanctify us, change us from the inside out. All through the reality of the beautiful, beautiful cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sorry. 
Christmas gift Undeserved life Have I been given Through Christ crucified You call me out of death Call me into life And I was under your wrath Now through the cross I'm reconciled Lost in love 